seems I'm all alone again. Does anybody care? This planet's empty. I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, everybody, it is Friday, April 28th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kev Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And look, we're going full basement view today. That's right. That's right. It's been a busy morning already. A little bit seat of our pants today. So I figured, you know what? We're going to let it all hang out. There <laughs> we go. <laughs> yeah, you know what life is like these days? I'll tell you. It's like being on this moving sidewalk, which doesn't stop. <laughs> moving sidewalk. That doesn't stop indeed. Anyways, 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 you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash RC Press. I've given you a pretty good reason to join already today, haven't I? Yes, I have indeed. Oh, my God. You can also help out support help support the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. If you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. Yes, and leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show and help shine a light and amplify the amazing work that we're doing here, the people we have on our show, um, the people in our community that are doing all the work, and so on. I want to remind you also, we can't let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. That's ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on this week's show, I'll give you a spattering of the kind of things that I want to get into today. We'll see what we actually get to. Um, we found out that I'm just going to go run down the, I'm going to, well, you know what? I'm going to do reverse order so that you can hear it. Um, let's see. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of more university strikes this week. More graduate students out on strike. We'll talk maybe a little bit about that. Um, we're also seeing kind of like, uh, you know, uh, or work being done to roll back child labor laws. Yes, that's right. Um, you've got a uh, place called the Foundation for Government Accountability, a Florida-based think tank and lobbying group, is drafting state legislation to strip child workplace protections. That's right. Foundation for Government Accountability. Foundation for Government Accountability is looking to strip away workplace protections for kids. Just let that sit there for a bit. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. Um, 
We're seeing that as a, uh, um, we're seeing an update to PEN America. Now, PEN America, you remember, is the organization that tra- is a free speech organization that tracks censorship, looks at what is happening in terms of book banning. And uh, they just released an update to their, um, their new report. And they're si- finding that, yep, 2023 is looking to be a banner year to break all records for book banning at this point. They're rising at a rapid pace in school districts around the United States. And there's new laws and regulations that are limiting the kinds of books that children have access to. Yes, indeed. So maybe we'll talk about that. What do you think? And of course, the big news of the week. Everybody is uh, enjoying the schadenfreude, right? Tucker Carlson. See ya. See ya, Tucker Carlson. Yes, indeed. He's gone. Yeah, so what does that mean? That means that Fox is going to be a great... Oh, wait, no, 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 no. Nothing's going to change, right? <laughs> Nothing's going to change. All right, got to remember, it's the machine that's the problem. The machine is the problem, right? And they're always going to find talent that are willing to drive that machine, right? So Tucker Carlson, the guy who helped popularize and nationalize white supremacy and normalize it in public discourse, yeah, he's gone. Thank goodness for that. Um, but it's not, that's not why Fox News got rid of him. Nope, looks like there's some kind of like really not so cool emails that, um, emails and text messages that kind of got him uh, that. So, shall see. And of course, this week, the Florida Surgeon General like altered key findings in a study on its COVID 19 vaccines, uh, vaccine safety. Yep, just wholesale, like, oh, well, look, uh, our scientists are finding that it's safe. I'm going to change that to not safe. I'm going to say, oh, no, there's no problems with kind of young men. Oh, no, I'm going to change that to, yes, uh, young men are going to at risk of greater heart uh, heart failure and stuff like that. Cardiac events. Insane. We're also seeing, and this is a bit concerning, uh, there is a massive turnover in local election officials, or at least that's what they're expecting by 2024. Um, that's according to a new survey that um, was out from the Brennan Center for Justice in New York. Um, the Brennan Center is basically finding that, yep, there is about 12% of local officials um, that began just began working in their roles after 2020, uh, 2020 election. 11% said they were very or somewhat likely to quit before next year's 2024 presidential election. That's a little troubling, wouldn't you say? Because who's going to be the new people that are in there? Just think about it. I'm a judge of elections in my precinct. I would encourage you to think about running yourself when that comes up, because you're going to find it. We shall see. Uh, we also saw Biden this week announce his re-election bid. A lot of people going, yay. Easy. North Dakota governor signs a law banning nearly all abortions. Right? And that happened in the same week that we just found out that uh, law, conservative lawmakers um, in Nebraska and South Carolina ended up going the other way. Right? They had really kind of basically very similar laws that were going to go through going through the books that we saw in North North Dakota pass, but they uh, yet yeah, thanks to some uh, some uh, women Republicans, frankly, uh, in particular, especially in uh, in Nebraska, from I, I believe. Um, that were that were seriously responsible for, um, um, you know, basically shaming some of their uh, fellow Republicans to not go to the extreme. There, we'll see. 
And then also another kind of antics throughout the uh, throughout the year. We saw that uh, you know there was some uh, university t- uh, faculty members who decided to put their pronouns in their official you know profile. And guess what happened? They got fired. Yep, they got fired. Here's that. <laughs> I get thought I could go on and on and on. Good news, after 22 years, uh, LGBTQ um, anti-discrimination legislation cleared the hurdle in the PA House. Huge. Jessica Benham and uh, um, was, you know, been kind of behind this for kind of uh, quite some time, which is um, which is pretty um, um, kind of amazing. Malcolm Kenyatta was there as a co-sponsor for this legislation. This has been around for like literally 22 years was when it was first introduced and now it has finally passed the House. Now, obviously, it's got to go to a floor vote. There's going to be more discussion there. There's going to be more controversy when it gets to the state Senate. Um, but this is a um, it, it's like one of those moments, right, that you mark. This is really important, really important. New audio also reveals that top GOP lawyers uh, got a 2024 strategy, make it harder for college students to vote. Yep. Gotta love this. They were heard quoting, this is one of the quotes, like, what is it with the young people effort that they do? Talking about Democrats. They basically put the polling place next to the student dorm, so all they have to do is roll out of bed, vote, and go back to bed. Yep. Yep. Here you go. I told you, I'm kind of all over the place today. Uh, and why am I all over the place today? Well, maybe it has something to do with the fact that the Pembridge School Board decided to hire, after a really contentious board meeting, um, some amazing uh, uh, parents and community members and teachers who came out and spoke out against this. But they went ahead and they hired a uh, company that is called Vermilion Education, which is basically an outgrowth of a dude that works closely with uh, Hillsdale College, was a former, former uh, I don't even know if you can call him a teacher, but employer there, employee there. Yep, it basically agreed um, to hire Vermilion Education to rewrite the social studies curriculum. Now, what made this so contentious, I want to remind you, there are no Democrats on the school board in Penridge. I was going to remind you that uh, there are no Democrats there, and so this was contentious within there, and, and most of it was over process and procedure. The fact is, is that you had some of the, the four of the most extreme members of the board uh, were in on a scheme to hire these uh, hire this firm, right? They put it on the agenda like 24 hours before the board met, which is the minimum requirement to get something on the agenda. Last minute, um, the remainder of the board was um, was unaware of this, or maybe there were five members who were aware of it, but there were definitely three, certainly four, and maybe five of the board members were in on it. Uh, but even like former kind of extremist board, uh, board president, um, uh, Joan Cullen was uh, not very happy about the way that this all went down. We shall see. Um, so there's a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff. Gun violence actually worse in red states. It's not even close, right? So that even though you've got all the conservative media that's out there fanning the flames about kind of violence in our cities, it's not happening in their cities. It's happening in their own freaking backyards because of their runaway gun laws. And then in more PA news, we got uh, kind of, you know, some pretty cool stuff. We had, um, there's a, they're highlighting um, uh, Elizabeth Fiedler, uh, Elizabeth Fiedler, uh, Dave Madsen, um, and Jordan Harris uh, were checking out the Steelton uh, High Spire High School that has this, uh, they basically unveiled their solar panel field. 
which is basically um, it's going to use to power the school districts and the uh, school district uh, schools and buildings. Um, they uh, and they're kind of pushing forth legislation that will kind of make it easier for schools to do this. Um, that's pretty awesome. I think this is one of the things that every school board should be, or every people in uh, area should be pushing on their school boards right now is to have their schools um, make sure you, you know, those big flat roofs that sit there baking in the sun all day, put some solar panels up there and not only will it reduce costs, energy costs for the building, but actually kind of feed back into the community and help maybe reduce um, energy costs across the board. Right. Not to mention, it's the thing we need to do to save our planet from a freaking dystopian future. But you know that. Anyways, all that and more on today's show. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, or Facebook. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. For all the details, head on over to ricksmithshow.com, therecksmithshow.com, for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out Sister of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where their bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. Subscribe to their podcast at Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. And if you haven't heard, get out from under that rock. As I always say, uh, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. That's part of the reason why it's so busy around here today. We actually pre we recorded the show this morning that's going to come out on Wednesday, and you're not going to want to miss it. So you got to check it out. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests who can provide insight and analysis and organizing solutions so that we can steer the community toward calmer saner progressive roots check them out at the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or look up the signal or the bucks county beacon wherever you get your podcasts and for all you gamers out there the game in with two ends is a quicker town based black family owned gaming store they're friends of the show they got everything for retro n64s the latest consoles video games for all platforms collectibles action figures funko pops walls of funko pops and kids get discounts with A's when they get A's in the report cards. Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at TheGameIn with two N's. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at TheGameInPA at gmail.com. A special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff and follow him on his YouTube page. Um, follow, him on, or follow him on his YouTube page or follow him on Twitter at, at SongOfDayMan. There's the two N's at SongOfDayMan on Twitter. Now... I I, 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 we got some major stuff coming up here, which I'm really, really excited about. So first of all, um, this Monday, uh, we're not going to have a guest this Monday, um, but we're going to be talking about what went down in the Penridge School District this past week. So for all you Bucks County folks uh, who want to chime in, want to kind of get in on the show, um, it's going to be a good opportunity to talk a little about what happens um, and to have a kind of discussion about that. I'll have some clips that we can listen to um, and kind of unpack a little bit of what's happening there. If we have time, we'll kind of dig into some of the stuff that's going on with uh, uh, um, some of these strikes that are happening across the country on Monday too. But I, my guess is we're spending most of the time on uh, what happened at Penridge. Now, Monday on May 8th, I'm welcoming Mark Engler to the show. Mark's a Philly-based writer and author of This is an Uprising, How Nonviolent Revolt is Shaping the 21st Century. And he's also a member of the editorial board of Dissent. We're going to be talking about his latest article, Can Movements Keep Politicians from Inevitably Selling Out? That appears in the most recent issue of Dissent in The Forge and Waging Nonviolence. And then on May 15th, right, I'm super psyched about this. Um, I'm welcoming, Christ, uh, welcoming Christine, um, Christine Marusik back to the show. 
Um, you might have remember her. She was on the show back in 2021 uh, when we talked about her investigated series called Fractured, about uh, the impact of fracking on people on their actual bodies uh, in Southwest PA. Um, she's a uh, you know award-winning um, uh, Pittsburgh-based journalist who covers environmental health and justice for Environmental Health News. Well, anyways. Uh, Christine has got a new book out called The War on Cancer, The Unlikely Heroes Revolutionizing Prevention. Um, it's a really cool book. I'm really looking forward to talking to her about it. Um, I know she's been, uh, you know, her work. I mean, I love her writing. Um, if you haven't checked her stuff out, you definitely got to do check it out at Environmental Health News. Um, but we're going to be talking about her book, um, The New War on Cancer, Unlikely Heroes Revolutionizing Prevention. That is on May 15th. Um, I've also got another guest that's kind of uh, in the wings here too as well, but um, waiting to confirm um, the date. Um, and I'll be very, very excited about that. Matter of fact, you know what? I should just check my email right now before I say another word um, because it may be indeed that that date has been confirmed now. Let me see. Nope, not yet. Okay. Good. Anyways, I told you I'm going to be all over the place today. Yeah. So anyways, listen, if we want Progressive Future, we need Progressive Media support. Pull no punches, homegrown Progressive Media today. Become a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Well, I managed to do it again. I managed to... Uh, Make sure that I uh, spent too much time on the intro and my music ran out. And so here I am. So you got to listen to the last part of that was just me. So crazy. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, like I said, a little bit scattered today. Um, in part, it's just been, you know, it's the second to last, the penultimate week, as it were, um, of my semester. Uh, it's been busy as all heck at work. And um, we... Uh, there's that. Um, I've got stuff I've got to get to this afternoon. Um, and, uh, and we recorded an episode of the signal this morning. Um, so just, just a lot of stuff going on today. Um, and on top of everything else, I'm just freaking exhausted. So <laughs> there you have it. Um, so here we have it, but there's like, you know, there was enough, I, I weighed whether or not, okay, maybe she would just kind of postpone and do this whole kind of Friday politics roundup on Monday along with everything. No, no, no. Let's, let's just focus on Penridge on Monday. So I'll, I'll do this, even if it's going to be a little scattered. Um, so I, I mean, a lot of the news that I read in the headlines today, um, it kind of, you know, falls into a couple categories, right? One, we're seeing that it's starting to really shape up, um, about where we're going to see a lot of the campaigning is going to happen in the, for the 2024 elections. And obviously these, uh, the 2023 elections, um, which is municipal school boards and that kind of stuff is really going to be used by the right. It seems to me as a way of, uh, starting to shore up its base for 2024. Right. Um, and, but there's some cracks in their plan and in a little bit of certain degree. So, let, let me just, let me start with here before we get to the Nebraska one. Well, actually, let, I mean, let's not go to the Nebraska one first. Let's go to the, um, I want to talk about the, um, what happened in North Dakota, right? Because in North Dakota, um, the governor signed legislation that bans nearly all abortions, right? So read a little bit here from, uh, this is coming from the Guardian, right? This is from Monday. Now, North Dakota on Monday adopted one of the strictest anti-abortion laws in the U.S. as the Republican governor, Doug Burgum, signed legislation banning the procedure through pre throughout pregnancy with slim expectation, uh, exceptions up to six weeks gestation. 
In those early weeks, abortions would be allowed only in the cases of rape, incest, and medical emergencies, such as ectopic pregnancy. Right? Quote, this bill clarifies and refines existing state law and reaffirms North Dakota as a pro-life state, Bergham said in a statement. Right? So they're setting up, I mean, like, I mean a lot of these conservatives, um, these states are really setting up, they're going a whole hog in um, the kind of anti-abortion move um, and kind of codifying um, this anti-abortion um, stance into law. Um, so as we've said on the show multiple times, as, uh, you know, advocates, um, abortion advocates have been saying forever, as Planned Parenthood has been saying forever, right, um, you know, when they go after Roe, right, um, and this is, they were saying this before they overturned Roe v. Wade, but they're going after Roe and, the, you know, they can say whatever they want about they don't want to have a, a national ban. They just want to, you know, <clears throat> that, that things are going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, states will handle it. No, it's just going to start going state by state by state by state, um, red state by red state by red state, um, kind of overturning um, any access to abortion. Right. So we saw that at the beginning of the week in North Dakota. Um, what was interesting just yesterday, I believe, um, just yesterday, um, we saw a little bit of a different outcome in two other conservative states. So again, this is in the Washington Post. Um, I'll just kind of run through this real quickly for you. So here's how this article begins. So the article is conservative dissenters block abortion limits in Nebraska and South Carolina. So the failure of strict new abortion laws to advance in Two um, conservatively uh, conservative-dominated legislators on the same day this week signaled a mounting fear among some Republicans that abortion bans could lead to political backlash. A near, near total ban on abortion failed Thursday in North in South Carolina, just hours before a six weeks a six six week ban fizzled out in Nebraska. Abortion remains legal in both states until 22, 22 weeks of pregnancy. In lengthy and often impassioned speeches on the South Carolina Senate floor, the state's five female senators, three Republicans and two Democrats, decried what would um, have been a near total ban on abortion. One, one Senator uh, Sandy's, uh, Sandy Sen, a Republican, likened the implications to the dystopian novel The Handmaid's Tale, in which women are treated as property of the state. Abortion laws, Sen said, quote, have always been, each and every one of them, about control, plain and simple. And in the Senate, the males have all the control. This is really interesting, right? Because what this shows, what, okay, so first of all, we know from polling, right, that Americans broadly, right, support legalized abortion. Right. So when you ask people in polls, that's what they say. Right. And then when you ask women, right, it's even higher. Right. Which would make sense given our kind of, you know, white capitalist patriarchy that we just we still are in. Anyways. Um, but and that was true across political parties, too, as well. Again, there's some variation. Right. It's not like it's the same in Democratic Republican parties, but you saw Republican women broadly support legalized abortion. Right. So those those are polls. But also what we've also seen, if we also seen that there's been a kind of that growing disjuncture between what Americans want as represented in these polls versus what legislatures do. Right. 
So we all know that, um, again, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, that, look, there is broad support for things like Medicare for all. There is broad support for increasing tax taxes on the super rich. There is broad-based support for a whole series of social programs that are championed by what we would call progressives today, right? Um, but in terms of how that's reflected in our politics, like what the official like Democratic Party does or what the official Republican Party does, they're, I mean, they're off the map. Uh, even like Democrats, they're kind of like out of step with what most people want, right? So the politicians who are controlling the political parties um, are not reflective of what's happening kind of um, within, within the American population writ large, right? And a lot of that has to do with gerrymandering when it comes to Republicans, because Republicans have basically made sure that they have safe states, that there is no possible way that they have to, that they need to, like, in any significant way, really respond um, to their constituents. They don't have to worry about it, right? So they can take extremist positions, and there is no one that can compete with. There's not enough Democrats to get them to oust these Republicans um, in many of these conservative states. Now, of course, in 2010, that happened at the state level. So you had this flipping of all these state legislatures, right, which kind of like, you know, uh, the Democratic leadership and the Obama administration were kind of sleeping on the job for that one, which they basically lost historic losses at the state level in terms of Democratic control of state legislatures or even just the numbers of representatives. Um, and that led to like all these kind of like really radical moves at the state level, right? So this polling, however, around abortion, especially after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, Right. It's made this, you know, it's made it increasingly difficult for anyone to hide behind, you know, the fact say, oh, well, you know, listen, that, you know, we were pro-life, but really in the back of their mind, you, you, you hear the stories all the time. Right. Where, well, that's not what the legislators really believe, but they're saying it because they're constituents or they're saying it because they need to for their party, whatever it might be, whatever excuse they're going to offer. But here with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, now suddenly what it means to be, quote unquote, pro-life, a pro-life Republican in particular. Right. Now you have to put, you're basically saying there is no federal protection, right? So your vote actually matters now, right? So in, in the case of North Dakota, they're like, yes, my vote matters now. So now we're going to kind of like, we're going to ban abortion, right? So you're basically taking 50% plus of your, uh, your statewide constituents. And you're basically saying, see ya. We don't care about you anymore. We're going to put you under our control. Women, people can have, people can get pregnant. Right. But now we see in and I, I don't know, I haven't seen enough reporting yet about um, how much of what happened in South Carolina and then Nebraska had to do with some of the fallout that was happening in the media about what happened on Monday in North Dakota. Right. My, I, my suspicions are is that people in uh, Republicans in particular in Nebraska and South Carolina were watching what was happening in North Carolina. I was uh, North Dakota rather. And they were like, holy crap, people are like nationwide are pretty pissed about this. Matter of fact, our own constituents are pretty pissed about this. Right. And so there's five women in South Carolina, five women in this body, right. All the rest are men and they're about to make a decision that is going to kind of like impact like, you know, 50% plus of the, um, the people in this state. And we are, we're here. So now it's like, what are you going to choose? You're going to choose like your uh, Republican ideology that you think you need to get reelected, or are you going to choose the fact that these men are about to control your body? 
And the South Carolina case, those Republican women, right, stood with the Democratic women and made this strong case. And basically, we're able to kind of, you know, um, you know, defeat this measure. That's huge, right? And that's the kind of thing that, you know, kind of people have been hoping to see. The real question was, are we going to actually see it? Because, you know, as, as much as the polls are important, right, we've all have to realize that by simply stating that, look, broad, most Americans support this thing, that doesn't mean anything inside these state legislatures, right? Because that is about power politics that's happening in state legislators. So it might be true, like in a functional democratic system, that the the percentage of people that are supporting a particular policy would have some sort of correspondence to what how um, um, politicians acted, and that politicians would feel pressure, right, from their constituents, um, and would worry about their jobs if they were acting in you know, in opposition to what they, what, you know, the polls show that their, their own constituents want. But like I said, because of the way that gerrymandering has worked and the way Republicans have blocked off their, their control of state legislatures, right? They don't need to do that. But now maybe, right? As we're seeing concerns about, you know, there, people are starting to look ahead to 2024, right? It's not look at the presidential election. And there's pressure coming directly down on um, a kind of especially Republican women, right? Um, but across the board in these state legislators that we might actually be seeing some same cracks in what's happening, right? And we could take the most like the most positive view or the most cynical view or like we could say a more positive or a more cynical view of this, right? A more positive view is that these women in South Carolina, for example, were standing up because of exactly what they said, that this has been about control. I mean, it's wild to see these Republican women, right, basically taking up these tropes from activists on the progressive to left, right, basically drawing attention to what's going on here, the Handmaid's Tale stuff, right? But they're saying, no, we are, are going to choose our gender, right? We are going to choose our rights. We are going to choose, like, the protection of kind of women and people who got pregnant. That's what we're going to choose and based on because we are in that and we are going to represent ourselves and this constituency, right? Best case scenario or, or better case scenario, let's say, right? The more cynical version, right? But produces the same outcomes. The more cynical version is that they're seeing the writing on the wall, right? That they said, okay, they're going to come out strongly here because they realize that now their own jobs are on the line because they see that this is deeply unpopular in the constituents and they're at risk of losing their seats. So regardless, either one of those things can be true. We're going to find out more of that. I'm sure as reporting goes on, as the weeks go on, actually what's going on and more analysis and reporting happens with that, but that's really good. Um, now here's the other thing. So while it was women who helped defeat the measure in South Carolina, in Nebraska, it was an 80 year old man who stalled it. Senator Merv reap or ripe, ripe, reap, um, a longtime Republican who would have been the decisive vote to advance the bill to a final final round of voting abstained over his concern that the six-week ban might not give women enough time to know they are pregnant. Reap told the Flatwater Free Press that he was concerned the Nebraska bill would be viewed as a total ban. Quote, at the end of the day, I need to look back and be able to say to myself, did you do your best? Reap told the paper, no group came to me asking me to do this. This is of my own belief and my own commitments. Right. 
and again, it's Nebraska Governor Jim Pellin came out and kind of like 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 criticized him publicly. I told, I put pressure upon him to go back into the fight. But regardless, so again, we could take the more you know the more generous view here that this guy said that he actually thought to himself that maybe what can I do to do the best. You know, what can, what can I do? Well, I need to do, you know, I need to do what my conscience tells me. And that deep in his heart, this is what he really believed, right? That may be true, but it's also key important. But what he said is that he was concerned that the bill would be viewed as a total ban, which in effect it would, right? So he, he's correct about this. He was concerned it would be viewed in such. So in other words, there's a political calculation here too as well. Right, is that if they pass this, they know that Republicans will be responsible. In Nebraska, the Nebraska Republicans were responsible for passing a, a total ban of abortion. And that's how it would be viewed, because that's effectively what it is. Right? So in that case, right, Republicans are feeling the pressure in this, like in here, right? So we're gonna see how this stuff plays out. But that's a that's a really, really important information for like say democrats right who are kind of running or you know even in some like cases sane republicans pro-choice republicans right although i care less about that but to put all the more attention on this right so remember for years and years and years and years democrats would kind of moved away from the language of of abortion right move away from the long language of kind of abortion rights and start talking about access to women's medical care right because they were under the kind of they're in the prison of 1990s Bill Clinton triangulation, right? Where they felt that they had to sound more Republican, or they had to, you know, couch what they what they really quote unquote really believe in Republican terms and move everything to the center, right? And so they stopped. They they thought you know Roe v. Wade is kind of settled law, blah blah blah. So we don't really need. So we can actually play around with the language because really it's going to be protected. Well, as we've talked about in this program multiple times, that's clearly not what happened, right? So that's pretty cool. Uh, Emily says, yes, three big citizen clapbacks against undemocratic state trends, abortion, guns, and trans rights. Yes, <clears throat> we're seeing that. I think abortion is definitely got to be the number one on that one. Right? I think the I think abortion is going to, is the protection of abortion rights, not like access to women's medical care. No, protection of abortion rights explicitly right, is going to need to be really kind of front and center. And, you know, I think, you know, this is, you know, one of the things I see that um, Ashley Ehas is also, you know, she's running against uh, Brian Fitzpatrick um, in the PA first. Uh, she ran against him last time. Um, she had a great campaign built, but she's coming back to build on that, on the successes of that campaign to, um, the last time around. And she's coming out swinging on this, right, as she should, right? And I think that, you know, um, that Democrats need to basically be loud and proud about the protection of abortion rights here and force Republicans to have to kind of try to do their, their, their wishy-washy stuff. Because look, one thing that happens in politics, right, you know, just at, at, the, at the campaign level, right, is voters tend to not like people who they can tell are hiding the truth or being wishy-washy about stuff, right? So Republicans will have a choice to do one of two things. Right. You have Democrats come out in strong defense of uh, or strong proponents of passing and not just like say we re respect the rights of women to have an abortion. No, no. Let's put start putting legislation on the table. Right. Start putting it down, introducing legislation, protecting um, protecting abortion rights in Pennsylvania. Right. Um, through the law the, the, in the same way that they're protected under Roe. Right. Um, maybe even extend them even further. 
right? Start introducing those bills one after the other to make sure that they're getting through and Democratic candidates making sure they're campaigning on this. Because that what that does is that basically puts Republicans in a position where they have to answer to that. And they can answer it to what they quote unquote really believe, right? Which is that, yes, we are going to take away the women's, um, act, uh, women's uh, right to an abortion and we men are going to control them. Right or we Christian nationalist women and men are going to control uh, control those women who would dare to have uh, want to have autonomy over their own bodies and not allow God to do with them what they will. Right, so it's going to force them to either be explicit about that, which is again, remind you, deeply unpopular. Right, or they're going to have to try to kind of like change the subject or kind of we do all this wiggle stuff, which is transparent to people. Right? And I'm talking about the people who are not paying attention to politics every single day. But now you have you have more women and more kind of people on the kind of broad democratic kind of umbrella, if you will. And some of these kind of um, kind of kind of moderate women in particular, right, who may or may not be Republican, right, who are are like say, no, I'm going to vote on on on, on abortion. And I'm going to vote to make sure that we expand, kind of expand women's right to an abortion. Right? Because now it's crystal clear for everyone. And this is a, a critical moment. So I think highlighting those, that's why I want to highlight those things here. Is I really think that, you know, this becomes super important going forward. Right. <clears throat> oh, God. See, what do I want to go now? Um I know there's only so many things I could cover today. I'm just like, oh, let's talk. We can talk about, uh, we can talk about uh, Tucker for a little bit, huh? How people feeling about that? How people feeling about Tucker, huh? See you, Tucker. Um, yep, Tucker, Tucker Carlson was uh, basically fired from Fox um, um, this week. And uh, I'm not even going to say good riddance because I don't really care, right? I don't care what happens to him after this. Um, but um, as much as it, uh, I'll admit it, like felt great to see that, see that move. I also um, know full well that Fox is not going to somehow change, right? Fox has not changed, right? That, uh, you know, still the goal has to be like kind of limiting and taking down um, that juggernaut of conservative uh, ideology, right? Um, and just horrific culture destroying media. But anyways, that's all I'll say about that. Um, I wanted to highlight this too as well, because this is something I'd like to, I think I'm going to, I want to try to get somebody on to talk about this, uh, coming in, in, uh, coming forward. I was like, I was hoping this is initially my plan for, for Monday show because Monday is international workers day. Um, I was hoping to get someone on to talk about what was happening with these child labor laws. Um, but just, it didn't just was not panning out in terms of the timing. So, um, so I'm, we're going to talk about this. And then everything happened with Penridge. So I'm like, oh, you know what? But let's, let's just talk about that. So this is an article of the Washington Post um, by Jacob Bodage or Bogage, I don't know, and Maria Luisa Paul, uh, Paul. Um, I think it's important. So, so they wrote this week, when Iowa lawmakers voted last week to roll back certain child labor protections, they blended into a growing movement driven largely by a conservative advocacy group. 
At 4.52 a.m. Tuesday, the state Senate approved the bill to allow children as young as 14 to work night shifts and 15-year-olds on assembly lines. The measure, which still must pass the Iowa House, is among several the Foundation for Government Accountability is maneuvering through state legislatures. That's the name of the organization, Foundation for Government Accountability. Remember this one. The Florida-based, of course it's Florida-based, the Florida-based think tank and, and its lobbying arm, the Opportunity Solutions Project, these people kill me with their language, have found remarkable success among Republicans to relax regulations that prevent children from working long hours in dangerous conditions. And they are gaining traction at a time the Biden administration is scrambling to enforce existing labor protections for children. The FGA, the you know, the Foundation for Government Accountability, the FGA achieved its biggest victory in March, playing a central role in designing a new Arkansas law to eliminate work permits and age verification for workers younger than 16. Its sponsor, State Representative Rebecca Burks, said in a hearing that the legislation, quote, came to me from the Foundation for Government Accountability, so said the quiet part out loud. Quote, as a practical matter, this is, like, this is likely to make it even harder for the state to enforce our own child labor laws, unquote, said Annie B. Smith, director of the University of Arkansas School of Law's Human Trafficking Clinic. Quote, not knowing where young kids are working makes it harder for state departments to do proactive investigations and visit workplaces where they know that employment is happening to make sure that kids are safe. Unquote. That law passed so swiftly and was met with such public outcry that Arkansas officials quickly approved a second measure, increasing penalties on violators of the child labor codes the state had just weakened. In Missouri, where another child labor bill has gained significant GOP support, the FGA helped the lawmaker draft and, re, um, and revise the legislation according to emails obtained by the Washington Post. The FGA for years has worked systematically to help shape policy at the state level, fighting to advance conservative causes such as restricting access to anti-poverty programs and blocking Medicaid expansion. But in February, the White House announced a crackdown on child labor violations in response to what activists have described as a surge in youths, many of them undocumented immigrants, working at meat packing plants, construction sites, auto factories, and other dangerous job sites. The administration's top lawyer called the proposed state child labor laws irresponsible and said it could make it even easier for employers to hire children for dangerous work. Quote, federal and state entities should be working together to increase accountability and ramp up enforcement, not make it easier to illegally hire children to do what are often dangerous jobs, unquote, labor solicitor Seema Nanda said. Quote, no child should be working in dangerous workplaces in this country, full stop, period. So this go, then it goes into the 1938, passed the Fair Standards Act, uh, Fair Standards, uh, Fair Labor Standards Act, which stopped companies from using cheap child labor to do dangerous work. Now, of course, Pennsylvania has a long history of this, right? Um, I mean, all you got to do is go to any, you know, uh, museum um, that foregrounds the work in steel, that shows what was happening in the coal mines. Um, where you had, you know, the breaker boys, you know, the little kids that were kind of, uh, you know, breaking up stuff like in the coal chutes and things like this, many of them getting maimed and killed, folks that were opening and closing doors in the mine shafts, right, um, that were, kids are getting maimed and killed. Um, uh, we had one of the biggest marks, uh, historical marks, uh, marks, uh, 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 marches against child labor, right, happened right from Philadelphia, right, back in the in the Mother, Mother Jones Day, right, Um kind of marching from the textile mills in Philadelphia to go visit uh, 
I guess it was Roosevelt, right? Uh, go visit Roosevelt and basically try to put an end to uh, uh, the child labor, right? So, I mean, it's got a long history. So to, to imagine that we see like a political party now getting behind rolling back child labor laws at the same time that it is going like foaming at the mouth rabid, right, in our school boards about protecting children, right, is, I mean, again, at the, at the very baseline, we're talking about hypocrisy, right? <laughs> but this is just, this is, this is, this will lead to the deaths of children. Right. And I think what the, uh, what the, you know, the, the, the calculus that they're doing here is they're recognizing that um, most of the children that they want to be able to work are these undocumented, um, um, uh, undocumented immigrants, kids. Right. Who the Trump administration, the Biden administration, frankly, the Obama administration and multiple like administrations in a row have failed to really kind of tackle like immigration questions, right? And they made it that much worse. Put kids in cages, then you kind of release them kind of unaccompanied into there. And now they ended up, we find, you know, we talked about, I think this last week or the week before, where you find out you got this dude from, uh, from like a meatpacking plant or something like this, who's, who's signing up to kind of be the guardian for these unaccompanied accompanied minors to make sure that they have a home, but he's really putting the, putting the work in uh, dangerous conditions. So I hope to have somebody on to talk about that at some point um, in their future, because this is going to be, I mean, this is, this is freaking nuts, right? Um, so it's crazy. Let me just check something. I keep on getting these uh, blips. I want to make sure that I'm not missing something. Nope. Okay. So yeah, that's something to pay attention to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what else are on people's minds today and what's on my mind today. Um, one of the things you may have seen this is a really good piece, a uh, short piece by, um, um, by Will Bunch. Uh, Will Bunch uh, had this piece that came out, it's called, uh, was in his newsletter and published in the Philly Inquirer, what's really behind the, a wave of college strikes. Um, now, of course, Will Bunch has uh, written a great book after the um, Ivory Tower Falls um, that's talking about what has happened on higher education. Um, but here, um, he's basically highlighting kind of what's happening with these strikes at the University of Michigan. Um, you find out that what's, uh, if you've been following at all what's happening at the University of Michigan's graduate strike there, uh, it's pretty remarkable um, to the point where um, um, you've got, you know, like well, University of Michigan, University of Michigan Law School. You've got uh, University of Michigan is, is like a powerhouse in journalism for the longest time. So you end up having some fairly influential people who have come out of um, – who've come out of the University of Michigan, who, um, who are not so pleased about what's going on uh, with, with their strike there. Um, they're basically, uh, there was a great kind of thread on Twitter. I don't know if people saw this, by, by of all people, Jennifer Rubin, right? Um, let me see if I can pull this up. I thought I had it saved, but Rubin. Uh, about what was happening kind of in Michigan, right? And um, she, uh, you know, she writes, she writer for the Washington Post. Where is this? I think it was Jennifer Rubin, wasn't it? Uh, maybe I got that wrong. No, maybe I'm wrong about that. 
Um, I wish I had, I thought, because I had a tag, but there's a, it was a really good um, thread about what was going on at the University of Michigan. And um, this reporter had reached out to uh, some members of the board, had said something like this. And one of the kind of trustees or one of the, the, the board members there had gotten back in touch with her. And it was like this freaking incredible, like back and forth where they're basically saying, yeah, we know that the graduate students shouldn't like, you know, uh, uh, don't have a living wage, but you know, isn't that part of the good thing of it? Right. Or, you know, if they get a living wage, isn't that unfair to other people in the, in the community or, you know, just basically every like anti-labor thing that, you could, that, that was being put forward um, or, or that you imagine it's being offered in any kind of labor situation. They're, they're coming out of the University of Michigan board. Right. And what Will Bunch does in his in his great piece, right, is it basically he goes and he says, look, um, and, you know, he's been writing about this for a while is that we've seen this kind of shift in what's happening in school board. We talked about this last week with uh, um, with Francois uh, um, um, uh, Furkenberg. Right. Uh, oh, I'm in the wrong name. Um, we talked about it on the show on Out to Coop Live last week where. Um, these, these boards, right, these higher ed boards, and this is also true to a lesser degree at uh, the K-12 level, but these higher ed boards are increasingly being occupied by, you know, hedge fund managers and bankers and real estate developers, people who have absolutely nothing to do with uh, higher education have, and have everything to do with, you know, the corporatization of higher ed, right? So, and Will Bunch has been calling that out and basically pointing to the fact that these series of strikes, the Rutgers strike, University of Michigan strike, the Temple strike, are all kind of uh, kind of connected to this on this, you know, whatever, 40-year history of the defunding of public higher education and a decision that um, we make every single day um, insofar uh, we make, and I use we like in the, the broad sense there, um, that is made by our legislators to continue down that path of kind of shifting um, education, public higher education into a privatized, limited good for people, as opposed to being one of the kind of um, most important aspects of um, uh, what we do to defend our democracy. Right. So here you go. Um, that's great. So do check that out, too, as well. Um, let me see what else I want to mention before before I got to go. I do have to take off early today. I apologize for the you know kind of like I said, complete disorganization. Oh, definitely got to say, you know, great um, great piece here. Um, great news here. Like um, we saw legislation passed after 22 years. LBGTQ anti discrimination legislation appears uh, clears the hurdle in the PA House. Um, right. So this is coming from the Pennsylvania Capital Star. Um, Peter Hall writing this piece. So here. I'll just read a bit of that legislation that would extend anti-discrimination protections to LBGTQ people across Pennsylvania cleared a critical committee hurdle in the state house on Monday, 22 years after the bill was first introduced. The bill, which now goes to the house for a floor vote would simply add sexual orientation and gender identity or expression to the list of protected protected classes under the Pennsylvania human relations act. The house judiciary committee approved the measure on a party line vote of 12 to nine. You want to talk about why it's important, right, to elect Democrats to the um, to the state house, even if you don't agree with all their policies. Here's a perfect example of this, because it gave the Democrats control over that over that over, over the the house. 
therefore control over the committees, and therefore this bill is finally going to have um, is going to get light and it's going to get a vote. Now the proposed inspired uh, 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 the proposal inspired emotional and passionate rhetoric from supporters um, from supporters as Republican members of the committee suggested it would infringe on the religious convictions and freedom of individuals and institutions. Blah blah blah. Following the vote, the bill's co-prime uh, co sponsors, Representatives Malcolm Kenyatta um, from Philadelphia and Je Jessica Bentham from Allegheny, Allegheny County, uh, Ben Hem, I always say Bentham because I'm taking Jeremy Bentham. Anyways, uh, Jessica Benham from Allegheny um, embraced its original sponsor, Representative Dan Frankel, Democrat from Allegheny. Right? Quote, Pennsylvania is a better place when it's fair, Kenyatta, the first openly gay man of color in the General, General Assembly, said, quote, and right now too many Pennsylvanians can legally be discriminated against because of who we are, because of how they identify in critical aspects of their lives, including housing, including education, and winning public accommodations, unquote. Right? <clears throat> Quote, when I drive to Harrisburg, I drive in and out of localities where my rights are protected or I am protected, where my rights are protected or I am protected and where I am not protected from discrimination. Unquote. Um, um, Benham, um, the first openly queer woman in the, uh, woman in the uh, General Assembly said, and quote, and I know well from personal experience how terrible the consequences of discrimination can be, not just on individuals, but on communities. Right. This is awesome. This is awesome that got out of the committee. Yes, it's still, it, it is not a done deal. It, even if it passes the House, um, the State House, then it's got to go to the Senate. But <coughs> just to be 100% clear for everybody out there, why this is important, what it means to add LGBTQ um, protections to um, um, protected classes under here. Well, basically, right now in Pennsylvania, um, it, and it's, you know, <coughs> right now the state law in Pennsylvania says, that you can fire somebody for being gay. It's not a protective class. Like say, okay, because you know, you're at will employee. Okay, here you are. Uh, I, oh wait, you're gay? Oh, that's not good. I'm sorry, you can't work here anymore. That would be legal today, right? Now, not everywhere in Pennsylvania, why? Because certain municipalities have passed protections, right? Anti-discrimination protections, right? That's what Jessica Benham is saying there. She like leaves one municipality where her rights are protected, drives across like outside of the municipality and then suddenly then she's like you know at risk and and will can legally be discriminated against and then drives into another one where okay yeah she got your protections again right you have inconsistency across here so this would basically normalize it across the state right fantastic news fantastic news cool <sighs> what else i think i'm gonna just i think i'm gonna wrap it up there <laughs> um I do want to remind everybody then um, that on Monday, so I, I, you may have seen this already. So I put out, um, I watched the school board meeting, the, Pen, the Penridge school board meeting on Monday and uh, pulled a bunch of video clips, um, um, pr mostly from uh, parents, community members, and teachers who are speaking out um, against this hiring of this, this uh, far-right consultancy group called Vermilion Education. Uh, from being uh, uh, hired by the school district to rewrite the um, uh, social studies curriculum. Um, now, all kudos, I should, I should have said this at the top of the show, um, major kudos goes to Jenny Stevens. Uh, Jenny Stevens, for writing in the uh, Bucks County Beacon, uh, was the first, as far as I can tell, um, to blow the whistle, to let everybody, to alert people to the fact that the Penridge School Board has just, uh, was trying to sneak this into its agenda on the contract to hire Vermilion Education. 
Um, and she published that um, on the 26th. Uh, the meeting was on, um, the meeting was like kind of later that day. Parents scrambled once they learned about this, community members scrambled to basically show up at that board meeting. There were like emergency calls that were going out to make sure that there was a pushback, and there was. Um, the the parents and the teachers and the community members who came out to speak out against uh, hiring Vermillion were phenomenal. Um, they, uh, you, you know, was there. But as um, as one speaker said, um, that we're all here. We know that you're not going to listen to us. We know that you're going to sit here and you're going to be looking at your phones, trying to get through this thing. Okay, let public comment go ahead and we'll do it. Because we know you're going to do what you're going to do anyways, right? And that's true because it was like, like there's there's all Republicans on the board. There's all, you know, they all support this kind of far-right agenda, right? What became interesting was it turns out, you know, that there's, you know, there's been these kind of like little kind of uh, skirmishes, if you will, among members of the uh, of the board, um, you know, periodically over this past year. Joan Cullen and kind of um, um, uh, Bannis Clemens, um, who is uh, uh, she's on the board, they have been kind of fighting kind of back and forth um, kind of pretty consistently. Um, you've, you know, and it clear that there was a cohort of, uh, three, right. Of the, um, of the newly elected board members who went on this kind of QAnon right wing platform, um, who have been pushing all the anti-trans stuff and all this stuff in the, in, uh, like on the school board. Um, they were basically trying to force this as for a quick vote with no public scrutiny. Um, and then you had other members of the board, like even Joan Cullen, right. Again, I'm no fan of Joan Cullen, but Joan Cullen was basically right on process here, basically saying that you can't do that. Like you're just basically trying to push this through without any public comment, which is going to potentially put us up for a violation of our own codes and potentially lawsuits. Right. And you know, that's what's going to happen. But after all of that, they voted anyways and a five to four vote They voted to approve the contract for Vermilion education to come in and rewrite the K through 12 um, curriculum in Penridge school district, my kids school district. So we're going to, that's what we're going to spend doing on Monday. So on Monday evening and out to coop live around 7 PM, uh, we're going to focus in what happened on Penridge and some of the aftermath and reporting that happens. Uh, that's going to happen with that. Um, invite people to kind of, uh, you know, kind of join in the conversation that night. I'd love to hear, um, kind of perspectives, um, and kind of your thoughts on this. Uh, we might find also a way to just kind of open up some of the, uh, um, uh, some callers for that show. Um, been thinking about that too as well, but at the very least, um, hope to have uh, folks joining in on our um, uh, uh, YouTube comments um, to participate in what's happening and uh, to really think about uh, what this means going forward. Um, it's just been, it's just, it's just, it's outrageous. So anyways, everybody, that's going to do it for me and this kind of like uh, kind of Friday morning. Um, we're supposed to get lots of rain this weekend. My one good news for this weekend for me is I'm getting to play D&D tomorrow and I'm so excited. <laughs> it's been way too long and I'm going to be uh, kind of delving into the fantasy world for a little bit to give myself a little bit of joy um, and uh, hopefully uh, all my players a joy too as well. So we'll see you at that. Anyways, we're going to call it there, um, and sorry for being all over the place, but this is kind of like the state of nature for me these days. Um, uh, thank you, Emily. Thank you, Amy, for tuning in. Thank you all for all your comments, and uh, for and thanks to everybody for your continued support. Um, I think that ev that you are going to be increasingly excited about what we're um, the direction that we're going through in these podcasts. We've got some just phenomenal guests coming on, um, and. Um, actually had the problem this week. Um, you know, this is kind of once before I had the problem this week of trying to find 
like find more time in the week to actually have more guests on because, um, not this week, but kind of in the coming weeks, um, because I've had so many people, um, that have been, uh, kind of wanted to come on the show, which has been really good. So that's great. Anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to remind you that you can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head over to patreon.com slash rcpress where you can help support us um, for as little as five bucks a month. Right? And make sure to share the show. Leave us that five-star review on our podcast, right? And have a great weekend. See ya! I fly away now.